Hi there, welcome, and thank you for tuning in. My name is Jason Shoulder, and this is Learning to Fail. People are complicated, and I know a lot of complicated people. My guest today is Adam Fields. Adam is a good friend and the producer of this podcast. When the election happened, Adam lost his shit. A lot of us did. I myself have had moments of acceptance interrupted by prolonged spells of depression. Together we tried to make sense of it all. Thanks in large part to this conversation, we've both been able to get back to our lives. We dug ourselves a pretty deep rabbit hole and dove in head first. I hope you enjoy going there with us. Before we get started, I just want to say how much I appreciate people taking time out of their lives to talk to me, let alone listen. This podcast is my avenue for expanding the way I think and the things I think about. If you like what you hear, please tell your friends about learning to fail and encourage them to tell theirs. Take a moment to rate us on iTunes and check out our website for additional information about each of the people we interview. While you're there, please visit our Donate and Amazon pages. Each page will give you clear instructions on what to do. For the time being, we're a completely donation-based podcast, so all of our episodes are being brought to you by you. Our donation page will allow you to make one-time or recurring donations. Our Amazon portal enables you to support the podcast without spending any extra money of your own. Please bookmark our Amazon page and start your shopping there every time you visit or buy anything on Amazon. The most helpful thing you can do is simply to listen to the podcast and encourage others to do the same. The world will be a better place when we can all start learning to fail together. Let's check out my conversation with Adam Fields. Happily, he's in a much better place now than he was the day we recorded this podcast. All right, is that working? Testing. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, it's good? Yep. Everything seems to be good. All right. That's a problem when you in- interview your producer. He's constantly <laughs> looking at the monitors. No, I'll look out at the beautiful fall foliage instead. Yeah. Let's just, let's just both look out there and pretend life is fine. <laughs> so... Uh. um. I decided to have you in here, Adam, after forcing you to listen to all my interviews with other people for so long. Uh, I always knew that there would come a time that it would feel appropriate to do a conversation between the two of us. It's strange that this is the time. <laughs> well, it's not that strange. I mean, that's the thing. Like, I thought, I mean, I, I didn't know what would be the thing that would bring us together in this room. <laughs> but I think this election is it. And I guess that's apropos. No, I think it makes yeah, sense in its yeah. own twisted logic kind of way. <laughs> I can dig that. Yeah, twisted logic, I think, is something you and I share. Um, I like to think yours is a little more twisted than mine. <laughs> but I also feel like uh, uh, right now, nobody's logic is more twisted than 50.01% uh, of the country. Oh, my God. I mean, actually, well, actually that's not even accurate, right? I mean, like, it's about one-sixth of the population voted for Trump. If you really think about it that way, and well, you're talking about it, the you gotta you can only count the voting population. Well, and then I guess over two hundred people, two hundred million people were registered, um, and about a hundred and thirty voted. So, so more and, than half, right? More than half of the registered voters, and then uh, she is still ahead by over two hundred thousand votes of the general public of the general 
voting public. Right. I mean, here's the thing about the Electoral College for me. is like whoever loses complains that the Electoral College is bullshit if they win the popular vote. Like, right. If they win the popular vote and not the electoral vote, they're like, oh, the electoral vote college is antiquated. If they win the electoral college and lose the popular vote, they're like, thank God we have the electoral college because it's such a great system and our forefathers were brilliant. Exactly. You and know? there is a, a level of genius to it because generally speaking, the electoral college is high information voters. Um, it is a little bit archaic. Um, but I've read a, a number of articles where people are talking about how even in the system there needs to be checks and balances um, because they, they were talking about actually Plato's Republic and how the degradation of early democracy uh, occurred because everyone had a say and mm. it, it laid fertile ground for tyranny and that's what we're doing right now. Um, the Electoral College is supposed to be a bulwark against that. Bulwark seems to be my uh, <laughs> word of the, week. Days? Oh, the <laughs> word of the week. I don't even know what it means, but it sounds like uh, <laughs> hard work that yeah. something will just keep doing. Well, no, it's kind of the wall between uh, to help slow things down, um, which is, for me, it's really been more of the idea of, like, the government is supposed to be the bulwark between uh, corporate interests in the people hmm. um corporations run amok which are the new feudal feudalism or feudalist uh system um god we're so fucked <laughs> we're just so fucked like i i'm just so blown away that there's no checks and balances now we've just we've just established that there's no checks and balances because they control everything and they're about to like have the opportunity to real do really do some damage in the Supreme Court. Right. Roe v. Wade is gone. Like, I don't know what's going to come up to make that happen. I, I'm curious as to what the, the case is going to be. Um, right, because there has to be a case. The Supreme Court can't just randomly go overturn past decisions, right? Right. Somebody has to bring a case to the Supreme Court. It's got to come up through the court system and be justified as, you know— like not kicked down to lower courts by various appellate courts, right? right. It's not just, I, I guarantee there's at least 10 of them already in the line. I'm sure. Yeah. Yeah. But it is interesting to note, like yeah. for people who think it's might happen, you know, in the first hundred days, it's It's going to be a longer process. It is. That. It's going to be a longer process. Yeah. Um, but the damage that he can do with the swipe of a pen over a hundred days, cause he has, he has people that are like, please do it. You know, it, even if he was just a regular Republican, we're in trouble because of the control of the House and, and Senate. Right. Um, obviously, obstructionists over the last eight years. Um, but all of the pro progress that we've made, that they are totally against the entire time that it was being made, they finally get their wish. And unfortunately, those of us who disagree with the direction that they want to go in are going to have zero choice but to hear it, you know, um, are we, but okay. I don't know what the numbers are in the house and the Senate because the Senate and the house, well, even when the, the Democrats had majorities, they were able to filibuster things all the time. Why can't we filibuster their stuff? Do we not have enough people to filibuster? No, we can filibuster, but the, the fear is that they will, um, make rules amending 
the filibuster, which, you know, if we get control again, will be beneficial to us. Um, but there's been talk for a long time about changing the rules of the filibuster. Um, which in general, I'm in favor of. I mean, yeah, we're, we're basically we're all in favor of limitations when it works to our advantage and we're all against them, you know, when we're down. You know, I mean, I, I think that's pretty common. I think that the important changes that that Trump is talking about, term limits and things like that, I, I agree with those things, and I've agreed with them for a very long time. My problem is that in order to do that, that's constitutional. And I don't want there to be a constitutional convention when the Republicans have a supermajority in everything and have the biggest say in everything, considering our governorships, our Senate, House, um, govern or uh, state legislatures. I mean, they have a lot of power right now. And if they bring up a constitutional convention, those things will be dealt with. That'll be great. But then they'll also try and pass things like one man and one woman equals marriage. Those are the other things that they want to bring up. And as soon as you bring about a constitutional convention to start changing the Constitution, that opens up the doors for a lot of things that I don't agree with. Oh, man. I mean, I thought I was terrified before you walked in here. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, you know, I remember when when I when I watched I was awake at two in the morning. I had fallen yeah. asleep early and I woke back up at two, like 16, just out of a crazy dream. And I, you know, went to the bathroom accidentally, literally accidentally turned on my phone and just the light coming on woke me all the way up. Mm -hmm. And I was like, well, I guess I might as well find out. You know, I just assumed Hillary was going to win. Yeah. I so mean, I should find out if I missed her acceptance speech. That was like where my head was at. Wow. And then I turned it on. I was like, the, oh, it's not over yet. And and then I I could see the Democrats looking depressed and the Republicans looking pretty hopeful and cheering. And and then the next thing I knew, Pence was walking on stage. I was like, what the fuck? I didn't know that Pennsylvania had come in and put him over the line i think that was the state that put yeah him over that's amazing that like blew my mind like for a long time it was blue and then it slowly turned and yeah i i just i understand the desire for change i'm a big i really want change i want to see a progressive change i don't think that rolling things back is we need to enter the 21st century not the 19th you know and Switching back to morality being what governs us rather than societal need is devastating to me. I, I think that we were already hindered by the idea that that we focus on what is morally right rather than what makes a functioning society. Someone holding a, a man loving another man or a woman loving another woman it doesn't affect a functioning society unless people want to kill them. Yeah, but you're also not saying that that's morally wrong, right? I mean, you can't possibly. I mean, you. I don't think that what what you mean is that we want we don't want to be taking morals into account when we make decisions. No, that's you're talking not, about. But that's how they want to judge things. Well, they want to right. judge things based on a very specific set of morals. Right, a Christian a set Christian of morals. A Christian set of morals. So I, I want to be very clear. Like, I want decisions made based on what's morally right. Yes. And I think that society's needs can and should correspond with what's morally right. 
I agree with that. Like, I don't think that those things ever should be in conflict with one another. Well, I mean, moral morality is something that um, coincides with society. I mean, what is it? The they call it the uh, the social contract. I think is the philosophical term, and that's what is the real divining line between countries is we have different ideas of what is morally right you know um, some countries don't have a haven't had a problem with cannibalism or some tribes would be more accurate um so based on that like we're all evolving consistent constantly and we share ideas across borders and we are evolving as to what is morally right I think that there are only a few absolutes. You should not kill somebody, you know, um, that our government partakes in killing people is that's morally reprehensible. I mean, we justify it. Does that make it right? I mean, that that well, we have to what do acrobatic society needs. That that's that's a difficult question. That's it's not a really a, difficult question. That's, it yeah. is a very difficult question. Yeah. I um I don't believe that you go to another country to protect your country, unless that country has a super military that has been rolling over other countries, you know, like World War One and Two. You know, that's that's what about uh, Korea. What about the Korean War? The one that we didn't finish. I mean, we didn't do anything right. We didn't do anything right with the Korean War. I mean, I think if anything, that's that's a experiment in failure hmm. as to violence. Now we have a, a potential nuclear power there. There's still no absolute proof that he has nuclear weapons. He's exploding things that are really powerful, um, but not nuclear powerful. Hmm. Like it could just be a way of saying I put a bunch of dynamite together in such a fashion to make you think that I have nuclear weapons so that you're scared of me. Um, in the Vietnam conflict, which wasn't even called a war, the Iraq conflict, which was built on false pretenses both times. Right. I mean, you think about the violence that has been perpetrated in the name of protecting our country when those are not countries that were ever truly a threat to us. Now we're about to be creating a new genuine threat with Iran because with Newt Gingrich as our secretary of state and both he and Trump already saying that treaty is gone. How is that not going to be? I mean, Iran is a real military and they will protect themselves. Maybe they don't have nuclear weapons, but you think that they're not going to work that nuclear program as fast as they can now and may be talking to people like Pakistan. You know, there are nuclear weapons out there that we can't account for. Would we blame them for trying to defend themselves? Yes. And then we'd go and nuke them. And then that would start a whole new chain of, of events. I mean, I, that, that thought terrifies me and that's a, not a domestic problem. The domestic problems, there's a litany of domestic problems that are just, terrifying to me because a number of them affect me personally but international our international standing which is took eight years to even start to heal itself is about to just go out the fucking window yeah i mean you you hear the cold water that was thrown on trump by both merkel 
and uh, oh, I don't know the prime minister of France's name. Is it is it Hollande? Is he I still? Know. I don't think he's. Um, yeah, I don't know all of the leaders of of the countries, but a number of them are like they're trying to be diplomatic, but you can tell that they're really fucking concerned. They are concerned, and I was in Europe this summer. Yeah. And everybody was very concerned that Trump was going to win. And at the time, I was like, I don't think you have to worry about it. Like, I feel like there's I, there's so many times, even like I've taught some yoga classes that it's recorded on, you know, not tape, but whatever the fuck we record right. on now, <laughs> right. you know. And, uh, and I have recordings of me out there saying I really don't think we have to worry about it. I mean, not that I'm like a go-to person for anything really besides how to use a yoga egg. Other than that, my opinions are <laughs> But you're pretty so low. good at that. I'm so good at that. I just seem like an authority <sighs> on other things. But um, I, uh, I just know that I have said on more than one occasion that I don't think we need to worry about it, and we do need to worry about it. Yeah. And not only do we need to worry about it, it's fucking happened now. And, and so, you know, I remember what happened when I woke up in the middle of the night the other night. So I was like, I watched the speech. And it was a really good acceptance speech. It was a very promising acceptance speech. It I, really I did not was. watch the whole thing, but I did watch half of it. I watched the whole thing, and I was like, well, if that's actually the guy we're dealing with, there's hope. And then I read his first 100 days agenda, and I saw the cabinet he's putting together, and it was pretty clear because all those people were on stage. And, and, you know, I mean, it's just bizarre to me that you know, Chris Christie is – is heading he's, he's, the transition team. Right. And he's going to be on trial for this Bridgegate thing, or he's supposed to be anyway. Uh, Trump himself is supposed to face charges for uh, raping. Well, I don't know what to call it. Well, no, the 13-year-old dropped, dropped the charges. But there's other things that he's going to be on trial for. Business thir- things. No, the 13-year-old you're talking about. Yeah. The, yeah. She dropped. I, I read that she dropped the charges because they're just isn't enough evidence or she was threatened. threatened yeah yeah threatened by the new president of the united states i mean i'm i was no hillary supporter um she definitely went up a couple notches each time that she had a debate with him right um i i i love the lighthearted moment of uh talking about his foundation because they brought up the foundations and we know for a fact that the Clinton Foundation does do a lot of good. Right. Um, watchdogs, like uh, independent watchdogs, have rated the Clinton Foundation as a foundation very highly. Um, Trump, his foundation does nothing. And he took money and bought a painting of himself. And when she said, who does that? Right. Like, that was, that was glorious. That right. was glorious. Um, and that was the high point of that that debate and then they from our side the high point from their side was when she said you know who wants someone with a temperament like this in office and he said yeah if i were you'd be in jail and i gotta give him kudos for that as a just as a comeback and that was the that was the defining moment of terror for me yeah like no one says that like that's that's horrific like well that's the thing like so i had a weird thought today i want him to pursue that not because I want Hillary in jail, but I'm pretty sure a, it, I, I read a whole thing about like how long it would actually take to make it happen. Right. It would take a lot of time, a lot of energy, a lot of effort. And they'd have to prove things, which already the FBI has said 
there's not enough evidence here. Right. So, um, and of course that's just, that was their interpretation at that time, given a very complicated political environment surrounding them. At any rate, uh, he'd be up against a, a very long battle. Right. But he swore he'd do it. Yeah, and but he's not going to do it himself. It takes resources away from actual things being dealt with. Right. I just want to see him. I want to see him follow through on like, you know, the, he he won on his crooked Hillary. Right. Campaign. Right. And that was one of the the that was one of the things whenever I talk to anybody and I have friends who voted for Trump, which is very upsetting for me. Yeah. And um, I actually broke up with someone. Well, we, we were kind of breaking up anyway, but I then. You got I'll, her. To, I'll get to that to story vote. later. Uh, Lindsay actually told me a she little bit. She told you the story. Yeah, I got her to vote, and she voted for Trump. Um, I mean, I, all I can say is I'm I'm proud of her for taking interest in her country for the first time since she was fucking born. Mm -hmm. You know, and she did a bunch of research, and she read, and she read, and she read. She got really into it, and she got really involved, and really interested, and she went and she voted her conscience, and she voted what matters for her. Right. And it's the opposite of what matters for me. Right. And it wasn't even that we had a difference of opinion that was the biggest issue for me, although it was listening to her was jarring, listening to her <laughs> talking about it. Uh, but, you know, she called me kind of gloating and giddy, like her team had just won the World Series, <sighs> you know? And she's like, she's like, I'm just so happy. And I'm like, why are you so happy? And she said, because I was right, and the guy I voted for won. And I'm just like, I'm just so happy. She was so happy. And I, I, I got to say that if I, I thought about something along the lines of that, um, I haven't met any gloating Trump supporters yet. I'm sure I will. Uh, but I don't think that I would be like that for for Hillary because she would be a checks and balances. Right. Um, and again, as I said, I'm not a huge Hillary supporter. Um, but yeah, no gloating. That's yeah. I, I, I can see a lot of that happening soon and that's just the first step towards the enabling, you know, that we've already been dealing with, with the racism and the bigotry they've been they're They're considered right because that guy is the president now. Right. I mean, I don't, I don't even know how to like put into words how that makes me feel it's it's so interesting that she i guess to some degree because it was her first time voting and it's good that you got her involved like like you said i think that that's a really beautiful thing you should be involved in in what's going on in our country it's really hard to stay involved because it's so up and down and can be emotional sure, yeah. tumultuous but her uh, doing this for the first time, it's probably a new emotion, too. Right. I know that I should be able to find empathy somewhere. Uh, I don't have it. Yeah. You know? And, you know, and listening to her talk about it, she was like, I told everyone. I mean, it's just if God wants him to be president, he'll be president. And I was just like, that was pretty much when I, when I stopped actually listening. Yeah. And... I said, you know, because I can talk about God as a reality all day long, but mm -hmm. it's not the same God. It's not the same 
it is the same God, but it's not talking about that God in the same way. And the difference is really significant to me. You know, it's the anthropomorphization that there's a singular entity that really had his thumb on the scales that said that Trump is my guy. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's, you know, that's hard to fathom. Yeah. Um, I can make a, a total argument for how she's right, but it'd be really circuitous. And the circuitous thing matters. Like to me, understanding the mechanism of how that could be true in a, what I would describe as a karmic sense. Yeah, like the idea maybe we need to tear it all down in order to rebuild it in a better Who way. Who knows? Like, we don't know. Like my, teach, my spiritual teacher used to say that the course of action is unfathomable. Yeah, I mean, I... I put it into the words of uh, we cannot define the things beyond time and space using the tools that are only found within time and space right you know so so in that sense she she could be right yeah but the problem for me is the way she's talking about god wanting him to be president she's talking about that in the same way that you know god says abortion is wrong and this is wrong and that's wrong you know that's the thing that that where yeah. when those lines blur for me that's when i feel like i'm no longer dealing with reason right i'm dealing with faith conditioning and belief conditioning well, it's not conditioning. even faith and belief because a lot of people that have that faith and belief as they describe it never had a choice otherwise right that's that's the problem with it is that they don't have a, a chance to come up with these ideas themselves they're pummeled from early childhood into believing a book that was written 1500 years ago about someone that was supposedly alive 2000 years ago and has been changed significantly 600 years ago whenever king james got his hands on it and exactly the entire thing exactly but even up to that point like there's so many things that are pulled from so many different places there wasn't even a collection of books for 400 years right no, listen, uh, there's no question that the veracity of the Old and New Testament, um, in my mind, particularly the New Testament, uh, is questionable. Yes. I mean, this thing about conditioning is an interesting thing. Like, to what degree aren't we conditioned? I mean, there's positive conditioning, too, oh, right? I mean, we come in, and, and there's a lot of things that, that my daughter is taught at a young age that I consider to be true, mm -hmm. and that— could be construed as conditioning. She's taught that the earth is round. She's oh, taught that the sun revolves, or, that we revolve around the sun, the moon revolves around the earth. Language is conditioning. Language is conditioning, yeah. Yeah, and plus all the crap that her mom and I have thrown on her based on our issues, you know? Like, right. So there's no way that we come into this world and don't get conditioned. It's part of Absolutely. it's part of the needs of society, even that you were talking about Absolutely. early on. Developing the social contract. Absolutely. Yeah. So not all conditioning is bad. Uh, Blind adherence to conditioning is bad. Well, that's to me when it becomes faith. Yes. So that's why I said that's why I called it faith and belief, because right. when we can recognize our conditioning and then even just have just the tiniest amount of space from it where we can see it in action. Right. Then we're not a total victim of it. We're not a total slave to it. It's still a Herculean effort to act in contrast to our conditioning. Absolutely. But Absolutely. there's a chance or we can do it some of the time. Or even if we can't do it, we can fail consciously. 
Right. As opposed to failing unconsciously or succeeding unconsciously, as the case may be. Right, right, right. You know. Um, I like that. That's definitely, yeah. So so I think all that needs to be taken into account. And, and when we're up against faith, there's no amount of reason that can possibly win. Absolutely. Well, and when you consider your science book to be 1,500 years old, again, written about a region that's about the size of Rhode Island and Delaware, or, or I guess more accurately, Jersey. Like, all the Bible revolves around an area about the size of New Jersey. And yet, all of the answers that are of today can be found in that book. Have you read Plato's Republic? I've not read Plato's. You should. Not in its entirety. Okay. So, well, yeah, I do. Need you really to read should, because it. yeah. it is. I read it in college. Um, I don't remember if I read the whole thing or just a few sections based on uh, that were relevant to the course. But I will tell you that everything I read blew my mind as to how relevant it was today. And this Absolutely. is 1989, uh, 90, something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's when I got into philosophy. And uh, it was... It changed my life reading that. And I remember saying to my dad, we went camping together in Joshua Tree, and I was reading Plato's Republic at the picnic table during the day, like I still had to work. And and I was like, Dad, this is such a cool book. And everything he's saying is so true today. And I was reading the thing about the process from, you know, democracy to oligarchy to despotism. Yes. And that is where we're headed. And well, that's I, actually the right excerpt of what I, I mentioned earlier. Right. Well, yeah, that's, and that's, so the reason I mentioned yeah. it to you is that The Republic is such a profoundly, I believe, accurate book. And it was not about a very large geographic area. But it was about a political theory that our entire system is based on. So there's a more direct corollary between that and a foundational system of, of belief between modern society and the Bible. Because the Bible is not... You can very easily cherry-pick things in that. Plato's Republic is very uh, linear. Right. And it doesn't say, trust in me. It just says, watch, this is what's going to happen. Yeah. You know, like, it's not Plato saying... like, I'm doing the math. Right, yeah. (laughs) Right, exactly. I'm doing the math. That's perfect. Yeah. Yeah, it's not Plato saying, you know, this is what I want to... This is what I believe should happen. Uh... I decree it. God decrees it. He's just like, this is just the way society unfolds and unravels. And, right. you know, and societies build and societies collapse. If you get too many choices, you get the the white noise that ends up allowing for somebody that's charismatic and has all the answers to, to fixing that noise in your head. We need to both read it. I need to reread yeah. it, and you need to read it. I'm I'm down with it, and then I'm we'll absolutely down we'll with that. revisit that piece of the discussion because okay. I think there's more to it than that. It's not it's not it it's not just that bit, you know. And there's a whole thing that horrifies me listening to Trump's. This did horrify me listening to his speech when he said, you know, we're gonna rebuild our infrastructure in inner cities and all that stuff. Obviously, I'm in favor of rebuilding the infrastructure in the inner cities. However, the piece that I heard was we're going to focus on uneducated jobs. We're going to focus on jobs for people without education. And we're going to build the uneducated class because the uneducated class is the class that put them into power. Right. And we're going to empower the uneducated. 
And I have a good friend who's a very big part of my life, an arch conservative. And he said his problem with education is that they're trying to turn everybody into secular humanists. And I was like, what's wrong with that? But he's Christian. He's conservative. Like for him, but that doesn't make any sense. Like secular humanism does not necessarily mean that you're an atheist. That's what they they lump the two together. I am an atheist, but I'm also a secular humanist because I believe that well, the world is secular. It's tangible, or at least from our perception collectively, it's tangible. And I'm human. Therefore, I reason in the only way that I know how to, the way a human reasons. Um. I don't understand that divide is like, why are you trying to define things based on things that you're not even thinking about? You're just saying this book says this, therefore it is. You didn't even give it any thought. Right. And that's, that's what secular humanism is, is thinking about what the fuck is going on. (laughs) I think, I think that that's how they see education. Right. That well, that they're saying it's in it's in those books and like let's say evolution for example, you know, and I'm by no means arguing against evolution right. big picture, but for the moment, you know, they'll say this book says evolution is real and here are the facts and you should just believe it. And they want evolution taught side by side with creation. creationism. And and I actually am in favor of that. No. Well, hear me out. There's no. It's not that I think it creates just you're not okay. gonna hear me out. Okay, I will hear you. Be, out. As a, no, that's not what I mean. Friend, hear me no, out. that's not what I mean. I'm just like I'm like that. Okay, I've heard a lot of different arguments, but I do want to hear yours. So I, I'm all for it. Like, let's put them side by side and let's reason it out. Let's and and also let's try to understand. But they want to do that at an age when children aren't able to think on that level, and that's therein is happening. the problem. That's already happened. I mean, my daughter. But that's the problem. That's the problem is like that goes back to the conditioning. Right. That's conditioning. Now, if you want to go with a 12th grader who's already had all this other basis for thinking for themselves, and that's what needs to be taught. Think for yourself. I'll condition you and, and give you my ideas as to what I think, but question everything that I've said and find out if that's right or wrong. And that's when that discussion can be had. Um, we are going to teach you creationism and evolution side by side because now you have the tools to think about it. Right. But that's not when they want to teach that. Right. No, I, and I understand. Yeah. I mean, uh, look, we live in the South. Yes. I'm a Jew. I, I'm at constant odds with my environment here, you know, and I have a new thing I'm doing in my comedy. Like last night, um, I said something about being Jewish and I said, just I need to let you guys know I'm Jewish. Is that a problem for anybody here? <laughs> and the room was quiet. And I said, are there any any anti-Semites here? No one said anything. I said, are there any pro-Semites? I said, do you guys even know what a Semite is? <laughs> it's like a Semite is a Jew. And nobody talked. And I said, you know, silence is what racism sounds like. And yeah. that got some laughs, you know? And, but, but it was like... That got laughs? Well... Well, nervous laughter. It got yeah. laughs. Well, it got laughter by people who were like... Who realized for the first time that that was true. They weren't laughing at it as like it was a joke. Right. And it wasn't even necessarily nervous laughter. It was like it was a funny thing to say in that moment, and I believe that it's true. Therefore, I believe it was profound. You know, and like I'm just slowly starting to find things to say that I think are beyond just funny. I and, can dig that. Um, 
I'm take working, it to that next level. I'm, I'm trying to take it to that next level. But I have to be careful because I don't. I'm, I barely know how to say things that are intelligent, <laughs> and I barely know how to say things are, that are funny. So, like, trying to put them together, <laughs> you know, I'm not ready for that level of failure yet. So I'm working on both simultaneously. Uh, but but this is one of them, you know, and it was an interesting moment last night in the room when I did that. And I broke through to the room in a different way. Because up until that moment, they weren't sure what they thought of me, you know. And it was a fucking tough night, and nobody was there anymore. It's one of those nights I went up second to last, you know. Right. And, and the crowd was mostly gone, and it was just a few people who had given all hope, given up all hope of getting laid. <laughs> so they had nothing better to do than stick around a comedy show till the bitter end. <laughs> but anyway, it was a very interesting, that, that to me was an interesting thing. Um, I'm constantly talking about being Jewish living in the South and, and trying to relay that feeling to people. And, you know, my daughter self-identifies as a Christian. And I just keep reminding her, you know, well, you're you're half Jewish. And she reminds me, only half Jewish. <laughs> and wow. but but a couple of neat things have happened. Like I remember the first time she had one of her friends sleep over. It was I think it was the second friend who'd ever slept over. And and I always do story and snuggle with them at night. And I said, Well, pick out a book you want to read. And she picked out a book about gefilte fish, which is a Jewish book. Yeah. She she was sharing her Jewishness and her Jewish dad with this friend. That that was her way of doing I mean, my interpretation, that was her way of doing it. She could have picked any number of fucking princess books or whatever. It was one of the golden moments in my life. You know, I, I just felt I felt like a level of uh acceptance by her and in her of who she is, a part of who she is that she off that she sort of publicly denies. Interesting. Yeah, it was it was really fascinating, you know, and and I noticed her slowly coming around to things that are more about my life, and I and maybe it's just you know trying to bond, but I don't think so because she's not afraid to tell me no, right? You know, she's not afraid to say you know I'm taking her a Hanukkah party. She's like I'm going to say Merry Christmas to everybody. I'm like <laughs> that would not be the way to attend a Hanukkah party. That's not disrespectful to, friends and to them. People, yeah, you know. Yeah, right, exactly. And interesting, it's interesting that the conversation has gone to the this subject. Um, recently, I've had some, I've thought about Semitic issues um, because tragically, something that David Duke brought up, who is a piece of shit, um, I don't one thousand percent disagree with what he said. In in the context of the common thread of talking about Semitism, anti-Semitism, um, you can't question anything um, as far as not not individual Jewish people, right? But the business leaders and and the possibility that. Um, that there is an inordinate influence based on the number of population due to uh this is a tough subject for me um to to even talk about because i'm trying to reason through it okay. um 
I'm not anti-Jewish. I have a lot of friends. You're a friend of mine, and you're not the first friend or even the- The last the, friend. The, <laughs> or the last friend. Um, but I am anti-Zionist. Um, and, and what I mean by that is fundamentalist Jewishness um, and the idea of the old country. And I, I would say this about any religion or any fundamentalist sect. I am anti-fundamentalist. Um, a funny joke that Lindsay and I said last night is like uh, some people talk about fundamentalist liberals. That's an oxymoron. <laughs> no, but there are fundamentalist liberals. You can't and... be fundamentalist and liberal. You shouldn't be it, able to be. It instantly negates the term liberal. Right. <laughs> yeah, they're fundamentalist. They're fundamentally left. Exactly. Yeah, they're fundamental leftists. Exactly. Of, yeah. But as soon as you're fundamentalist, you you close your mind, and yeah. again, that goes back to our conditioning discussion. But. In the United States, the Jewish population is about 2%. They're a minority, a super minority, smaller than the African-Americans, Hispanic, any of the other minorities that you can think of. And yet they make up 48% of the billionaires. And they control most of the media. Um, and, and to discuss those things at all, I don't know what, what that discussion is about. Um, but we know and we've seen through the reporting over this election that media has an influence on people. Fox News has a tremendous influence on why Trump is elected, right? right? Actually, morning so, radio had a bigger influence, but... Uh, absolutely. But, Rush Limbaugh it has amazing influence. Um, on a side note, like Glenn, Black, ugh, Glenn Beck... What a profound shift in that guy. I don't know if you've read. He's like, I was a fucking dick and I've learned so much over the last couple of years and I want to learn more. Well, that, let's, like, let's, see, let's see in two years. No, he's he's come out in support of Black Lives Matter. He said that I was against everything that Obama, but he made me a better human being. And now I understand why he did some of the things he did. Like he's come out and said a lot of these things, which is really amazing. That is amazing. Yeah. So I'm just saying, um, let's see where he is in two more years. That's true. That's yeah, true. That's because he mean. may be he, with the tide. He, yeah, he may he, may, he may just go back. Well, it, it's even, you know, it's the power of group consciousness. Like yeah. the group consciousness may have influenced him. And let's see if that stays with him or let's see if the group consciousness brings him back to this person that, you know, guys like you and I didn't like yes so right i want to i want to a little I bit of respond another. to the jews having control over everything comment right okay For, and i and i want to preface it by saying i don't have a ton of knowledge in this area as far as how valid those numbers are that you gave me well i know that they're valid I, I can tell you that i looked at a number of other so, number i'm of not sources, saying they're not i'm just saying just, let's just assume to let they you are. know i'm just let's yeah. assume they are let's say jews have 48 percent of the wealth and and uh, are influencers in the media. They're uh, not even influencers. I'm going to say owners. Right. Okay. They have ownership of the media. Right. One of the things about Judaism, one of the tenets of Judaism is always trying to do the right thing. Right. And we try to do the right thing for the sake of it being right. I like, like that. That's a huge part of our conditioning. So... 
when I hear now I'm Jewish, so I'm going to be biased about this. But when I hear the Jews own the media, I think, thank God, because it's owned by someone who's going to be driven culturally and conditionally to do the right thing. Like that is what we try to do as a people. And and so the fact that Jews own the media let's let's well I mean, that still just was the beginning of what what I was getting towards. Okay. But um I just want to I just want to plug that in there and I, right. I definitely want you to continue with it. It's like it's different to me than Trump being president. Like oh, I do absolutely. not I do not absolutely. trust him at all. I his his tendencies are so narcissistic. He he appears to be so unbridedly self-interested. Mm-hmm. Having ah. someone like that in power is different in my mind than having people like the Jews in power because the Jews aren't exclusively self-interested. We're like as religions go, we're like the liberals. But the but the Zionist movement—that's this—that's the difference. The... That's the difference that I have, and in, right. in what I consider the Zionist movement is more than anything the government of Israel. Okay, not the people of Israel. I've known lots of people that are Israeli that have spent time in the military to be to have also um, dual citizenship. Mm. Um, I think Israel is a beautiful country, and I think that there are. A, there's a lot of people there that are against their government and against the encroachment and all the things that are going on against Palestinians, which I think that Palestinians need to be included in anti-Semitic rhetoric because they are a member of the Semitic tribes as well. Except they're, right. so, well, it's sort of, I don't know if you can make, I, I hear you. And, and I'm they, not saying and the Palestinians the don't need some, some more respect. Uh, I don't know that anti the phrase anti-Semitism applies to them just because it. I think that's the the reason that I have a problem with the term anti-Semitism is because it's not totally accurate, especially since there's a lot of empirical data say suggesting that um, the Kazarian uh, membership of the the Jewish caste or or people that moved to Europe repopulated the Israel or the is. Israel, not the Israel, the Israel, Israel. <laughs> the Israel, <laughs> the Donald, um, in that area, um, not the people that stayed of which there were still also, I mean, there were a lot of Jewish and Palestinian people that lived in that area that coexisted very well for a very long time. Right. Um, it wasn't until the fifties that all of the shit really started happening. Um, and that's, historically there's so many different perspectives on how that all occurred that it, i mean it, you know it, there was a holocaust and it was decided the jews need a place where they won't be bothered so right they, you know, but and, and that was also was brought about uruguay or israel Those but then the, there was the other aspect of it that they started bombing uh united states in allied interest in order to make it happen like that who started bombing them um is Israeli or sorry, Jewish paramilitary that had fought during World War II. They're like, if you're not gonna build us a country, we're gonna fuck shit up. Oh, okay, I don't know that. Yeah, that's so. part of the the reason that they said, all right, we already are sick of war, and these are our two choices. We're gonna make this happen, and there seems to be um, a lot of historical reference 
for you to have this country here. So this is where we're going to build it. Unfortunately, uh, the the problems that arose from that. Again, all of that centers around religion, which is a whole nother discussion. And well, it's, it's not just religion one. is conditioning against conditioning against exactly. Conditioning. Yeah. And and like even two people that are fundamentalist in almost identical religions, but with one caveat, will kill each other over it. Blows my mind. Like I, you know, I I had a inside talking to a friend of mine. She was in a relationship. She's still in it. And but earlier on in the relationship, she said, I don't know if it's going to work out. And I said, why not? And she said, well, there's just a few things that, you know, we don't agree on. And I said, there's always going to be things you don't agree on with someone like the deeper you go in a relationship, you're going to keep going. It's going to feel harmonious until you hit those things that you don't agree on. Right. And you can't just bail on every relationship because there's something that you don't agree on. I agree with that. And and I said, so I would, you know advise you since you asked not you her (laughs) like just take a step back and and decide whether or not those are deal breakers because there's always going to be something right he's not you you know and you choose your battles you know in your choose your battles but choose your deal breakers yeah you know choose like this is the thing that's gonna that i'm gonna stay in the relationship or i'm gonna not stay in the relationship Anyway, that conversation single-handedly saved her relationship. And she's mentioned it to me more than once. That's cool. You know, she's like, I really appreciate it. That really helped me see it in perspective. And, and you know, they're still together. Like, now they're together seven years. And this conversation happened maybe two, three years into their relationship. So, and there's no uh, end in sight nice. to their relationship. They have a really nice, harmonious, functioning relationship that's kind of in a, in a true homeostasis they don't seem to fight they don't you know they just have well you know, having those big those big issues and being able to get over them um are great because if you can get over that then everything else seems minor like everything else becomes a discussion rather than a fight right right so um i want to respond to your anti-zionist statement uh, and I'm assuming you mean anti. You're saying anti-Zionist because of the movement that all Jews should return to Israel. Is that what you mean? No, by no. What I mean is that we have there is a major the government there. Um, regularly, whether or not the Palestinians shoot a rocket over to then go over and roll over an entire township with with tanks and basically have an open air prison is crimes against humanity. And yet they say it's not, um, that there are, there's tons of video of parliamentary personnel and even some of the higher up, uh, like the prime minister talking about basically concentration camps for Ethiopians and people that are just looking for a better life you know, and they do that, 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 that those things occur that because they think uh, I'm not saying it's, it's not Jews that do it. It's that there is a segment that has control and power that are perpetrating those same Holocaust things Hmm. and be on the idea that they are lesser beings. 
And that's what the whole Holocaust, the big problem with the Holocaust was, is that Hitler thought that they were a, a lesser being, you know? And that happens, it, there's so many times in history that that's been true. And the Jews have been, unfortunately, at the short end of the stick of that a number of different times. Right. Um, but the fact that they're doing it now is devastating to me. And to ever even question that is devastating to me. And that we have un universal support across our government. And then to no one is, it's a political suicide to even question that is devastating to me. We, and and that makes me question, like, am I anti-Semitic to even question these things? When on a personal basis, or even in the belief of Judaism, to me, Judaism is one of the better religions just based on how thoughtful it is. Like, I think that it's, an, it's I mean, Old Testament, it's really worked itself out over a number of times. And like you said, I, I agree that historically what I've seen in my experiences is, yes, that, that most of my Jewish friends always do want to try and do the right thing. And that's why I differentiate the Zionists and the people in power. And that's why I question the influence of the Jewish billionaire class here on American viewpoint of the what I consider a dangerous Zionist sect in Israel. But I'm not allowed to talk about that because I'm not Jewish. And that lumps me in with someone like David Duke, who I abhor. I, I don't think that because you are of a, a basic religion, uh, sex, uh, or any cultural in, inclination or ethnicity, that that defines who you are. But it is something that should be questioned as far as a group of people having an inordinate amount of power. That should be able to be questioned. So I want to um, offer you a small piece of relief, potentially. Uh, you don't have to quote David Duke on this. There are a lot of liberal Jews who have concerns with the fundamentalists within Judaism. Mm -hmm. And I do think I just connected some dots. I don't know if they're real or not. Like, I don't just... I don't know if this is an uninterrupted line that I'm about to connect, <laughs> but you know, the Bush administration was sort of the, in my mind, the first conservative group in the U S to start to blindly side with Israel. And, and there's been a move in the recent years among Christians to be very pro Israel. Mm -hmm. And I, when I say Christians, I'm really thinking more around the fundamentalist Christians. Right, right, right. And I'm wondering if a piece of that, it has to do with the growing influence of the fundamentalists within Israel. So it's really the fundamentalists siding with other, other fundamentalists, fundamentalists as opposed to Americans yeah. siding with Israelis or Christians siding with Jews. And now with Trump coming into office, who I can, I mean, I don't think of him as any kind of a Christian, although no. he claimed to be, you know, oh, I'm a Christian. I'm, I'm a very, you know, one of his I read speeches. the cover of the Bible. Yeah. You know, um, 
I've always been a Christian. It's amazing how he can just say shit, and he says it enough times that people believe it, even though it's like a non-sentence. My favorite thing is someone said, what's 2 plus 2? He's like, 2 plus 2? Ah, I love 2 plus 2. I mean, 2 as a number, 2 is such (laughs) a great number, you know? And 2 is, I mean, a lot of my friends are 2s. 2 is a very good friend of mine. And he he just, like, goes off onto this tangent and never answers what's 2 plus 2. It's such a brilliantly written piece. Nice. So, anyway, that's how I feel Trump was about being Christian and every other issue that he's talked about. Uh, he, he masterfully never committed to anything except destroying everything that Obama did. Right. And, you and know, probably mostly because Obama totally ripped on him at the correspondence center. Well, that was because Obama, no, but Trump. Oh, that's right. Trump initiated that with the whole birther thing. The birther thing. That's I absolutely mean, true. That was long before. You know, and so Trump, it, it, brilliantly, he said, I acknowledge that Obama was born in the United States. Okay. Can we get rid of the birther thing now? Everybody stop talking about it. It was Hillary's fault. And, well, he, yeah, he pushed, put it on, tried to put on her for a minute, but even that didn't necessarily work. Um, But it didn't matter because it was, he just said, okay, fine. I said it. It's over. He, I accept it. He's that... Now that he's elected, he's destroying Obama's legacy. So he's like, he, I'm sure he just said, you know what? Fuck it. I'll just acknowledge that he was born in the U.S. And now I'm going to destroy him in a mu- on a much greater level. You know, he is going to destroy the last eight years of progress we've made. I mean, yeah. he's going to fucking detonate it. The environment alone is enough reason to like. I know make he's you like, he, yeah, he's just cry. pulling. He's pulling all the money from from green energy and putting it into. I forget exactly what they said, but it was like they. It was quite the opposite, you know. And he's like, I'm going to make sure we exploit all our resources. We're going to put all the oil out of the ground. We're we're going to get that pipeline in Dakota. You know, don't worry, we'll take care of that. Like, he he will stop at nothing. Yeah. And I, you know, I don't know if you've ever taken an economics class, but I took economics in college at the urging of my advisor, who was a psych professor. I said, I'm looking for a fourth class. And he said, have you ever taken an economics class? And I said, no, why would I want to do that? That sounds stupid. It's like, take this particular class. It's a great, like, intro to economics. Anyway, in that class, uh, our teacher, this teacher was so... Interesting. He taught, he made a ton of money in the stock market. He was truly wealthy. So he worked for $1 a year because that 50,000 bucks that they were going to pay him per year wasn't going to change his life at all. And the school could benefit from that money more than him. That's awesome. So he taught and he taught with all his heart for a dollar a year. You know, well, yeah, he didn't phone it, was it a in. a good outlet. He didn't phone it in, you know, just because he was making a buck. Right. Anyway, so he was my teacher and uh, he was not a particularly pleasant teacher. But he was really, really good. And he said, you know, the last thing we should do is take our oil out of the ground. Because at some point, we're going to run out of the – the world's going to run out of oil. And whoever has it at that point is going to be in a better position than everybody else. Yep. So the absolute – and Obama's been guiltier of this than I would have liked too. He's pulled more of oil out of the ground and than I would have And now we're liked. starting to sell it. He allowed the – before it was like domestic production oil stayed here. Period. Like we were, did not allow it to go out, and now we, we've decided to make it part of our. Was it the GNP? The GDP. GDP. Yeah, that. Yeah, no, that's definitely one of the black marks for 
He's right. done things I don't agree with. Yeah. You know, but overall, I would rather have, I still think he's the best president ever. There's progress. You know, I, yeah. here's my thing about Obama, because it's not going to be relevant to talk about him much longer. Uh, first of all, he's certainly the best president that's happened in my lifetime. He may be one of, if not the best presidents we will have ever had. And I have no problem saying that. Now, he has made choices that I don't agree with. It's but that politics. doesn't make him a bad president. He, un I feel like he has understood the need to make unpopular decisions and also to give a little to his adversaries in order to get something that he needs in return. Like he, that he, he got as much done as he actually did with the people that he was forced to work with is still, I mean, that's no small feat. Well, he got almost everything done with executive orders because he had zero support. Right. So he would try every time. I mean, this guy's level of patience, the, the Buddha that exists in this man is mind blowing to yeah. me. He's like, he'd go to Congress with an idea and they'd say, nope, you're black. We're not going to do it. And, and those weren't their exact words, but it's that yeah, as far as I'm concerned, no questioning you know, that there was definitely, yeah, it's, his, and so, uh, he said, all right, well, fuck it. I'll just do an executive order. I just, I asked, you know, next week, 10 different ways. Hey guys, I'd like, how about this idea? Nope. You're black. We're not going to do it. And she's like, okay, executive order. So. Trump's first hundred days, he's gonna un he said, I'm gonna overturn Everything. every single one of his executive orders. Yep. And, you know, I don't understand like I, I had I have so much admiration for Obama that he's like, Well, this is the transfer of power and Bush was gracious with my people, so I've instructed my people to be gracious with Trump. He's gotta face this fucking racist asshole. Today. Face to face. Today. Today. And give him the power of the presidency to undo everything he's done for the last eight years. I don't know how he's not going to punch him in the goddamn face. I don't know how he's not going to just knock the shit out of him. Yeah. I don't know how he's not going to do it. Yep. Like, you know, I, I just don't know. I'd be, a, I'd be up for an MMA match between those two guys. Oh, you know, that would be such an unfair fight. <laughs> it's all an unfair fight. Yeah. You know, it's been an unfair fight against obama the entire time you know he this is a guy he's the first president we've had in a really long time who says well let me think about it and then he fucking thinks about it and then he gives an answer that is based in consideration yes and reflection yes and the goddamn conservatives of this country not every one of them but enough of them have derided him for being, oh, the smartest man in the room. I hope he's the fucking smartest man in the he room. He should be. I want the smartest man in the room to be president. Not not only is he the smartest, he's so smart that when he doesn't know something, he's willing to listen to other people who might. <laughs> Listening is... <laughs> that's what is about to go out the window. That's like one of the biggest things that's about to go out the window. Is listening. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's, I mean... Yes, Donald Trump is not interested in listening to anything anybody has to say. No. And, I mean, we're just, now I feel like you. We're so fucked. We're just really fucked. I mean, you know, when I read his 100 Days thing, some of it I don't think I understand. 
Like, I don't have a lot of knowledge about this stuff. I, but I've been reading a lot more lately, unfortunately. So I'm more informed than I'd like to be and less informed than I need to be. And there are a lot of things that he's going to do that I just don't get it. Like, I don't, I don't understand what these things are. But some of them I feel like I do understand. And a couple of them I'm like, well, if I, if I understand it right, it doesn't sound bad to me, you know. But so many of them are just so horrendous to me. That and are the spirit, simply out of spite. I don't know what it's out of. Like, I think he really thinks it's right. The thing about Donald Trump, and the, the, my biggest problem with him winning is that the whole time he's been saying things that sounded completely irrational to me. Instead of the Steve Jobs way, how Steve Jobs used to, you know, warp reality and then right. make it so, Donald Trump, I've listened to him doing that. You know, oh, we got lots of support, tons of support. Uh, the polls are wrong, you know. We have polls, we're doing fine. Everybody was like, dude, just because you say it doesn't make it true. I even made this meme, my first and only meme ever. It was a picture of Donald Trump looking smug as ever. And it said, if I said it, it must be true. And to me, that's fucking hilarious. And mm -hmm. I, like nobody shared it. Nothing happened with my I precious see meme. That. Fuck you. I would if I had it was seen on that. Facebook. Sometimes I like don't. Sometimes do you Facebook. don't like everything oh. on my wall. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes I ignore Facebook for a couple of days just to try and regain a semblance of sanity. Yeah, one of my good friends just quit Facebook today. She sent me a, a uh, Facebook message. Said I'm leaving Facebook. Here's my address and phone number and email. Yeah, I just deleted my Facebook and news apps because I need to take a break. You need a break, yeah. I need a break, yeah. and I will I will look at that stuff if I have it accessible to me. The stock market has gone up more since Tuesday than – it's almost at an all-time high. Really? Yep. Um, and – Wow. Yeah, I know. It's crazy. It's just nuts. Uh, I don't understand it because in Europe, the minute he was elected, futures in the U.S. market – crashed crashed and and i heard the dow went down 800 points but it was back up 300 like and now it's it's up i don't know what it is right this minute but a few hours ago when i deleted my stock app <laughs> for the same reason because uh, i didn't want to i didn't want any reflection of this all being a good thing right like you know uh, and the stock market is not an an accurate representation of how the oh, regular people no, are doing it has no yeah. reflection on it yeah well, one of the things for me is the something you alluded to earlier, um, and it, it's across the different levels of the conservative political spectrum. What I came to understand or had an epiphany about the other day was the underlying understanding of intellectualism is skewed. That what intellectualism, and this will actually tie into what we first started talking about with different aspects of the religion and conditioning it's an innate curiosity that's what makes someone an intellectual it's not their educational level and where the divide and the failure to me is that people from harvard and yale are ascribed the the role of the intellectual and that they automatically look down on the the automotive worker or the mechanic and it it works both ways the mechanic also thinks that they're hoity-toity in Trump tapped into that by harnessing the idea that people like simple answers to complex questions so that they can just get on with their life. And one of the divides that we have 
is that we value people by the amount of money that they have. Mm. And there are other things that affect that. That's why there's racism. Black people are get paid less. Women get paid cents on the dollar. Those are just symptoms of, of the underlying issue. Somebody has created a valuation system that I think is completely skewed. And that is what he also tapped into is because they can't get that economic clout. Right. They're treated as lesser beings. And because everything's getting more expensive, they're not even able to have as good of a life as they had before. And that's where the, the change needs to come in. But I think we need to cross that divide that being curious about the world is not a bad thing and not being curious about the world is not a bad thing. Not being curious is not a bad thing. Exactly. Like it's okay to not be curious. Curiosity is how things progress. That's why we have computers. That's why people uh, are able to do very complex brain surgeries now. That's right. why we have uh, satellites, things like that. Not being curious allows for people to be able to sit down and tinker on a car constantly. One person was curious enough to figure out how to make a car in the first place. Another person is incurious enough to be okay with just knowing that this is how it works. And both of those have very significant roles. And neither of them have more value. And so yet, you're comparing the person who invents the car to the person who fixes the car? Because I'm concerned about the people who just want to drive the car. Because <laughs> I mean, that, that to me is the lack of curiosity. You know, I mean, and that, and when it comes to cars, by the way, that's fucking totally me. I don't want to have to fix my car. There's right. a couple things I don't do. I don't fix my car. I don't fix my plumbing, you know, but other things I'm willing to do. I mean, if we're going to use only a car analogy, I'm just using a, a very simplified analogy. Oh, because people like simple answers. You're just using, I'm trying, you're using your I'm own trying. logic against yourself. <laughs> well, no, I'm trying to make it, I'm trying to reason it out. Okay. And I believe that simplicity, if, if there is a simple answer, I mean, what is it? The Desiderata? Have you ever read that? The what? The Desiderata? No. Um, Doesn't even sound simple. <laughs> and I can't, for the life of me, think of the person's name at the, that wrote it. But when he was like 15, he wrote this extremely complex uh, philosophical paper that explained crazy things. And then he spent the next 20 years of his life trying to simplify everything. And the Desiderata is how he did it. Oh, he I did see. It. You know, so uh, Picasso said he spent his whole life trying to learn how to paint like paint a child. Like, I, yeah. But see, there's a difference between essence and simplicity. Because to me, there's those what we're actually talking about there is trying to find the essence and express only the essence. Like I do. Well, that yeah. With, yeah. No. And, and that's getting away from the point that that I was trying to make as far as the individuals. OK. The people, because there are every type of people. And unfortunately, um, the ones that voted for Trump and mass because they want to have change. Are, feel like they're falling through the cracks because even though they are valuable simply because they're people but because they're not curious about the more esoteric questions and they they can't think abstractly or because that's just not how they think they feel like they're looked down on and here's a guy that came across and is able to say let's make america great again what does that mean 
Like by every metric, America is still one of the great countries. Right. Is it where I would like it to be? I, I'm very much a progressive. I think that we're slow in our change. And I'm hoping that this this situation ends up inciting a lot of positive activism. Um, right now I'm freaked out. But I, I think that it's okay for some people not to be curious. I think that the closing of our factory has destroyed some of that. And that some people that was were able to go and do nine to five on the line five days a week, they had their hobbies, they had their family, you know, they had their community and they, that that's all gone, you know, it's, it's, it's been exported. It's been exported. It's not gone. Right. If, if there's a name for me to pull out of the hat of who really brought about the end of, of American life in that essence, that we talk about how America was great during the fifties and sixties. And as far as a country and we were expanding and we were becoming more and more modern, blah, blah, blah. Lee Iacocca, because he was scoffed at first, but he's the person that first decided that, you know what? You're going to pay me $2 million and I'm going to fix your company. And how am I going to fix your company? By cutting out all these jobs. So no, everything looks like it's in the black now. It was in the red. Everything is now in the black because you don't have all these people to pay. Is that because he increased the assembly line? He improved the assembly line? What did he do? To he make that he did some of that. And then he ex started exporting. But it's just the unfettered removing of people that are not important enough and doubling the workload of people instead of recognizing the fact that people are people. And this is what um, I think that uh, Buckminster Fuller was alluding to when he said we need to get rid of the specious idea that people need to prove that they're worthy of being alive, you know, that you have to work for a living in this, that, and the other. Because so many people work for money rather than the, to contribute to society. Most jobs aren't contributing to society. They're right. just trying to make money. How does that help a society? How do we get better as a society? And that goes ties in for me with the average Joe that's cool with just working nine to five. What do they do? Well, they have stability in their economy. They feel loyal to the company that they've worked for. They ended up working 30 years for a company and then retiring. Company was loyal to them. But then they were they had free time during the weekends. They had vacations. So they participated in, in community. You know? A lot of things have destroyed community. I mean, there's still church and everything, so I understand that aspect, and maybe that's something that I'm lacking as far as being able to reach out to community because I don't go to church, and I don't have any desire to go to church. But I, I, I just, I'm curious as to how do we bridge that divide, the, the new divide, the anti-intellectual or the anti-stupid person divide. You know, like, what's wrong with not being curious? Okay, so I don't know if you realize what you're actually dancing around. But you're dancing around the conversation of Dharma. Okay. In the East, it's called Dharma. It's your life's purpose. Right. And uh, there's a couple different words in uh, Sanskrit that come together here. So one is karma. Your karma, karma is thought of the shit that happens to us. But right. actually, a better definition for karma, in my opinion, is our karma is how we function. 
Okay. And how we function is what influences the th- shit that happens to us. But the karma isn't the shit that happens. The karma is how we function. That is our karma. Okay. So we create our reality through our karma, through how we function. So our reality is not created by our karma. We create our reality with our karma. Right. Okay. That makes me think of something Ford said. Was I think it was Ford. Um, it's amazing how much better my luck is the harder I work. Right. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. 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 Yeah, there's a yeah. It was either him or Benjamin know, I, I Franklin. Heard, yeah, someone I think I, I even heard Mark Twain say something like that. Yeah, like, you know. Um, but anyway, it's all that's it's it's the same idea. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um. So that's karma is how we function. Leela, L-I-L-A, Leela. That's the play of our life. That's like how our life unfolds, how it's gonna unfold. Like, you know, where we're going to live, who we're going to meet, what we're going to do, you know, all that stuff. That's a, that's the Leela. Okay. okay. And if you, and it's, it's such a light sounding word. So if you really just like give it that kind of almost angelic fairy like quality, you know, it's, a fear, <laughs> it's ethereal. It's, it's the play of our life. You know, when our Leela lines up with our karma, we live our Dharma. When the way we function aligns with the play of our life, we begin doing our life's work. It is, I have chills having just said it. Like I'm not even exaggerating, you know, and I'm the one who said it. Not even <laughs> like that is a remarkable idea. It's like finding your Zen. It's right. It's or, living your life's purpose. Yeah. You and I have talked over the years of how, you know, you've, you've expressed falsely placed envy <laughs> in, in what you perceive to be my life because you see me living what you see me living my dharma for a long time three minute egg was my dharma right and it was very fulfilling for me and i can feel that my leela is moving on and i'm stuck in the three minute egg and and i can feel that my karma is the thing that has prevented me from turning three-minute egg into something that I could leave effectively in order to allow me to follow my Leela and continue living my new Dharma. Right. I dig that. I, okay. Yeah. Yeah. The way, and I'm going to say it all in English. The, no, I, <laughs> the way yeah. I function has both created this incredible company and also prevented it from growing. So my karma has both manifested my life and limited it but my leela the play of my life has continued to move it's not a stagnant thing you know it floats around the room like incense smoke you know when it hits the ceiling it goes over to the side and you know and eventually yeah. it just kind of fills the air and you know you, somebody walks in it's like oh the whole Whoa. place smells like <laughs> so um, somebody's burning their leela incense smells like karma <laughs> <laughs> your room smells like karma that... <laughs> That's not that doesn't come out of an incense stick. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> oh my god. You know, when I when I was in Denver I performed in a smokers club. Yeah. And I walked in, it was just fucking smoke everywhere. And at first I was like, Oh, this isn't as bad as I thought it was gonna be. <laughs> but then I got home and everything smelled like smoke in a non smoke environment, everything smelled of smoke. Right. And I was like, I am covered. I can't like I can't get rid of this smoke. I can't get rid of this karma. Like I just took on this karma. 
and I'm just like smothered in it. You I'm know? high on karma. <laughs> so well, other people's karma. That's the thing. Yeah. When we're around other people, we take on bits of their karma. Interesting. Now, now physical manifestation of that. Yeah, it's it's okay. So here's so clothing absorbs karma. Therefore, when we buy used clothing, we are wearing other people's karma around. Wow. Yeah. So okay. I don't buy anything used. I know that that is uncool environmentally, but I, I very rarely buy used stuff. And when I do, I regret it. Now, I sell all my shit, although I have way much, a bunch of stuff I haven't sold, most of which is technology that is no longer relevant. But I have a lot of things that I need to sell. And part of my problems as a person is that I don't do it. But... Uh, I keep everything in immaculate condition. So when I sell something, it is as close to new as possible. Mm-hmm. And I usually haven't used it enough, which means I don't have that much of my karma on it. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, if you buy something like super used, like I have this mountain bike I need to sell, but that right. mountain bike is fucking, that is a big bowl of karma. You know, that thing, so I've got it from somebody else. It's had a lot of miles on it. It was a $5,000 bike when I got it. You know, well, no, when my friend got it, you mm-hmm. know, I got it for, I don't know, 1500 Now it's worth, I've put another 1500 into it. It's worth $500, you know, and that's like, if I'm lucky. So, you know, but you can see it when you look at it, you can see like, that's a badass bike, but you ride it and it's like the, you know, the suspension isn't working as well as it could. Like it needs someone who has the time to overhaul it, to clean up the karma and make it functioning again. That's what I've been doing with my bike. Only it's taken two years. Yeah. So well, because... part part of it is going to be there's two years of doing jack shit karma on it. Now. <laughs> <laughs> so I really think this. Uh, you were talking about like it needs to be okay for some people to be assembly line workers. I'm going to paraphrase it. Yeah. All right. So now I want to I want to introduce what I consider to be a truly profound idea, and I learned this from my teacher. He either figured it out or learned it from someone. I don't know where the line is between the things that he sort of came to on his own and the things that he uh, learned from others. Mm-hmm. It doesn't really matter. No. I learned I, it from him. Yeah. This is a complicated thing. So uh, give me some space around it. But everybody's dharma is different. And we are all here to evolve as individual beings and the path of evolution for each person is not the same and there was a time when that was understood on a on a societal level that there were people who evolved most quickly through the intellect and there were other people who evolved most quickly through physical labor and there were other people who evolved most quickly through learning spiritual texts and other people who evolved most quickly through washing dishes or cleaning houses or sweeping streets. Everybody's evolutionary path is different and we need desperately to honor all these different evolutionary paths. Absolutely. The purity which arguably is long gone, but the purity behind the caste system in India honors and supports this idea that everybody's dharma is different. 
Everybody's life's purpose is different. Everybody's most efficient path to personal evolution is different. And therefore, people are encouraged to follow their dharma. Now. Mm -hmm. And we aren't anymore. Hold on. Stay with me. Now, there's a couple things that happen. One is that somebody born into a particular caste in a caste society can't leave that caste. Right. There are problems. One of the problems there is that occasionally somebody's best form of evolution is outside of the caste and they need to be allowed to move up or down the caste ladder in order to evolve personally. And mm -hmm. that when the caste system is adhered to rigidly, when the caste system is understood as a mechanism for control, then it is no longer helping people evolve. It's just keeping people in their place. However, when the caste system is understood to be inherently flexible and that it's there in order to support the personal evolution of people. Merely guidelines. You could call it guidelines. Yeah. yeah. A little stronger than guidelines, but not um, like if you just, are just not just steel pipes. Yeah. You know, it's not just the only option. It, it's the reason it's a little more than guidelines is that, you know, sometimes we can want more or want to do less and staying true to our dharma, even though we don't want to staying true to it can help us evolve faster. That's why I think it's more than just a guideline. Right. So it's it's it would be an exceptional time that somebody would, you know, hop up or down a level in the caste system, but absolutely would need to be accommodated. Okay. Now it sounds kind of like the Divergent series as well. Uh, I don't know if you've. Seen I haven't those seen them. Yeah. I haven't seen them. Yeah. Um, now I have to watch it. Yeah. Like a movie. Um, <laughs> so capitalism, which I know you hate, mm -hmm. capitalism in its purest form, accommodates the off the bell curve moments of the caste system. Like in within capitalism, anybody. First of all, people will naturally fill different voids. Right. Because for various reasons, they will end up doing this job or that job or filling this need in society or that need in society. Nature abhors a vacuum. Exactly. So yeah. people will fill it. Like I'm always amazed when I arrive in a foreign country that there are buses and trains and hotels. Like the whole fucking infrastructure is there to accommodate my arrival. They're waiting for me. And I just show up and make a choice. Mm-hmm. Like, that blew my mind. Like, who could organize that, you know? Jason's coming. All right, we're going to need a driver. We're going to need, you know, <laughs> like, like it's, so, it's so incredible. And, and capitalism, when it's allowed to function, has the potential to support everybody's dharma. I'm not anti the entirety of the idea of capitalism. No, I know. I'm You're anti-greed and things like that. Yeah. yeah. I know. Yeah. I want to stay on how beautiful this possibility is just for a minute yeah like um, this is interesting it's yeah. if we can simultaneously perceive and function through the abstract nature of being the flexible nature of being okay if that can be the way we function and then from that unstructured place we exist functionally within structure we can succeed as individuals and as a society so 
Morality is an abstract concept. The needs of society are a linear concept. And when we can, when that morality can kind of organically funnel into a system, and then that system lives as a, as a living, breathing expression of that morality, now the needs of society are lining up with the good, mm -hmm. you know, the platonic form for good. The, the life we live becomes a reflection and a manifestation of the potential that we have. We as human beings begin to live as divine. We become gods and remain human. It, it doesn't get better than that. And arguably, that's the purpose of life, is to find our divinity, access our divinity, live from our divinity, and then enjoy it as people. Right. Because it's, it's like we were just freed onto the playground of existence, and some of us want to be on the swings, and other of us are more inclined to do the merry-go-round. Right. And our natures are different, and we're just here to play. It's just this fucking yeah. recess. Yeah. And we're turning it into this. It's just a ride, man. Yeah, it is. It's yeah. just a ride. Yeah. But we're not— We've because the you ego know. gets in the way. The ego is the the variable that is not properly accounted for yet, because it is both profoundly useful in that it motivates, but it's extremely fragile, and it can also, if injured, cause you to lash out, which can in effect affect everyone that it touches. And that's that's right there is the problem is that developing a way a cross-platform application <laughs> an open source <laughs> an open source cross-platform <laughs> application that appeals to all egos equally and gives them all equal value uh, I, my problem with capitalism is that or as it is run right now is it doesn't allow for that utopian idea which I, I love. That was beautiful, man. That was truly beautiful. Is that there is an esoteric they that have decided the value of things. And again, that's where there ends up being that divide of the curiosity divide that in turn leads to an economic divide. Because we're shown on TV, advertised thousands of times a day, and everything from street signs to television to radio to magazines, whatever, that in order to be one of the Joneses and one of the good people, you need to have this, that, and the other. And uh, until we can get over that, which are really things that feed our egos, um, we don't get to that underlying aspect of the purity of our soul, I guess. Right. Um, establishing itself in this secular realm. The ego is like a sports car. Yeah. And we're just learning how to drive. Yeah. And we all want to drive. We want an automatic. We want to drive, <laughs> drive hundreds of miles an hour 
in a sports car and we haven't learned how to get out of the driveway yet yeah and 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 that is why they refer to the subtle aspects of you know getting into the kingdom of heaven as passing a camel through the eye of the needle because yeah it is it is not easy it is not obvious it is not without sacrifice and yet like the reward for it is infinite the reward for allowing the ego to serve us instead of us serving our ego right you know we have it backwards we have most things backwards right and what we need to do is we need to get comfortable resting into ourselves we need to develop a healthy level of trust in ourselves which is really hard to do because um because like you're saying is a lot of people's karma and dharma or lila are not functioning together it's hard to do not impossible it's hard to do because we've been conditioned to look outside of ourselves i dig that if you really want to talk about conditioning we have been conditioned to look outside of ourselves in order to validate ourselves ah i agree with that and that is impossible yeah when a child isn't validated as a child they don't have the sense of self that they need to have a healthy ego in order to thrive in the world when they're loved when the love they receive is conditional man that's tragic it's overly prevalent donald trump seemingly received very conditional love wow that's sad he's risen to power in a country filled with people who have received mostly conditional love the irony of him being a reality tv star there's nothing less real than reality tv, TV. yeah nothing it's true and there's nothing more real than the fact that he is now our president and he is now in charge for the first oh. time we have the we have the one of the biggest stars of the thing that is most unreal in charge of the biggest country in terms of power yeah. and influence that is most real. And now I have to wonder, is he living his dharma? Has his leela lined up with his karma? And has the leela of our country lined up with the karma of our country? Has the play of the life of our country as a society lined up with the play of his life as an individual and the way we function as a society lined up with the way he functions as an individual have those come together and brought him into the position of being in charge wow and said another way was it all god did god put him there right now I have to look at what this friend of mine who's 
perception of life I have such a hard time valuing because I, for me, her connection of those two things is it lacks the intellectual understanding. It's a simplification where she said, if God didn't want to be president, he wouldn't. And it comes... It's because you didn't think about it on your own merit. I think it comes from a place of faith. Right. I think she has faith in God, and she's looking at the end result. And she said, if she, if God didn't want it to happen, it wouldn't have happened. God chose him to be president. That's why he's president. And I hear that, and I recoil. Right. And I tell her, I, I, do I don't want to speak to you anymore. I can't have a relationship with you. And now I sit here 24 hours later, and I connect exactly those dots in a way that I think is very, very believable and very logically supported. And I can't see it any other way. Now, I want to... This is all just part of the plan. It, the, the course of action is unfathomable. We are all evolving. The human race is evolving. We as individuals are evolving. The planet is a living, breathing organism. We are a part of it. It's true. And nationalism, the ferocious nationalism that's gripping this country now is not unique to this country. It's happening throughout Europe. It's happening in the Philippines. It's happening uh, in the Middle East. You know, right. it's almost so, happening here late. Yeah, it's almost happening here late. Yeah. Now, this has been a country where we have kept that at bay for so long. It's because it's shallow. It's exclusionary. Yeah. It's it's antithetical to why we started this country and how we started this country. But according to Plato's Republic, it's inevitable. But this isn't the first time it's gone through it, too. You know, I mean, if you think about it, like, there there was a time with the African-Americans. There was a time with the Italians. There was a time with the Irish, a time with the Jews. Each were the minority to become nationalist against, you know, um, at different decades. So this isn't new. This is Who's the minority now? The intelligentsia? Muslim. Muslims. Because uh, of so you think he you think he's in office because of the Muslims? I mean, he's no. building a wall between well, here and Mexico. He's well, the intelligentsia is not a new thing. I mean, it, this isn't even the first time that we've had a uh, before the Civil War. Um, there was a president that was ignorant asshole like Trump um, that played to their fears um, that ran on a very similar platform, and you know it. Uh, I don't think that this is a, a unique to now. I think that, like you were saying, that the republic is uh, apropos to today. Um, I think people are people overall. Um, I, I think that because of economics, um, this is all happening. I think that there's more of an economic than intellectual divide, but unfortunately, intellectual divide creates the economic divide or is at least perceived in that way. You know, I mean, Hillary was Miss Smarty Pants with all of her ideas and whatnot. Um, again, Trump is able to simplify these really complex ideas into something that's palpable to people, but he doesn't answer any questions. Actually, he tells people to just trust him. He just says, right. I'm going to take care of the Muslims. I'm going to do this. I'm, and they just... But they, they want to be that an answer. They, that's the, because it's faith. They want, they want... Blind faith is easier... And quicker than uh, I don't know how to describe the opposite than like ardent uh, pursuit of facts. Right. 
Yeah. Well, and then that goes it goes back to the idea of curiosity. They don't have to think beyond what he's told them. And that's exactly how a strong man rises to power. I have the idea you can sit back and just reap the reward. You know, um, a buddy of mine that I was talking to yesterday um, quoted Steve Schmidt. And this was kind of what got me thinking about intellectualism is on there's a line. And on one side of the line, there were, there are people that took Trump literally, but not seriously. And on the other side of the line, there's a group of people that take Trump seriously, but not literally. That's that's simple and yeah. yet extremely profound. Yeah, very profound and frightening. Yeah, and that's you know? that's that's what incited the epiphany of how do you bridge that divide? Like that's that is a philosophical divide right there. We're looking at the same painting, but from different sides. Uh, or maybe a painting on glass, and you see it one way on one side and entirely different on the other side. I'm trying in my head, but it's not working. I was trying to relate it to what you said earlier about the Bible. And I was trying to decide, can you say that people interpret the Bible literally but not seriously, and other people take it seriously but not literally? But actually, the people who take it literally take it seriously, and the people who... Take it not literally. Don't take, take it, it not seriously. Yeah, it's so, exactly the opposite. Yeah. So it's it's yeah. the opposite. That um, it's a parable to those of us that think that you can use it as a guideline for philosophy, whereas others think that it's rules for life. Right. And it says it plain. Everything, I mean, all that kind of vast spiritual knowledge, it's all abstract in nature. Mm-hmm. And the process of intellectualizing something is linearizing something it's taking abstract information and turning it into something linear that we can uh, reason out well and that's the whole basis for science and that's where again the bible takes out the questioning science is not a thing it's a process you have an idea you test it out did it work no create a new idea yes use it and keep trying to find out if it keeps working right trying to just if you're really responsible you try to disprove it and that's that's a that's stephen hawking has disproven number of every 20 years he wins the nobel prize nobel prize for disproving his his last theory exactly (laughs) exactly yeah it's great the last true scientist you know not the last there's a lot of people like him yeah they're really really tyson you know yeah you know there's a lot of people out there no no there are yeah i'm just no i agree but no well, yeah, I mean, a guy that was that's lived 50 years longer than anyone else with his disease. Right. Thank God. Yeah. It's amazing. Thank, literally, thank God. Literally? Yeah. <laughs> like, so I think of God as the personified value of pure, unbounded consciousness. And I think of pure, unbounded consciousness as the I want to say is the basis of being, but I was actually encouraged to recognize it as the second layer. That the first layer is pure isness, zero activity. There's there's nothingness, no thingness, not even consciousness. Like consciousness is already 
But that's not something that can either be proven or disproven because it's exactly if it's exactly what you're saying. It's like, it's not a, it can't be disproven or proven scientifically. No, it can't be proven or disproven because there's nothingness. Like if there's nothing, there's no way to have something within nothing. The idea is that everything comes from nothing. Right. Yeah, even the Big Bang has that theory. Yeah. It's like so consciousness All right, so here's the big bang in terms of consciousness my teacher taught me this shit too none of this stuff is that i make it up <laughs> the really good stuff i learned occasionally i connect some dots of my own if the if the only thing that really exists is consciousness and and consciousness is like the it, it's just like the veneer that surrounds isness okay okay and these are all concepts that are like, okay, yeah, I get that. There's no fucking way either of us gets it. But I'm just well, going mean, to put it in words. I mean, to say isness is to think of time in a linear fashion. To say isness is to think of beyond time. There is no time in pure isness. There's no time. There's no space. There's no thing. There's nothing. Okay. That's isness. Okay. It, it's not a thing. Okay. There's there's not even a thing for it to not be the thing. It's like well, that's that's uh, that's very Buddhist with the idea that as soon as you try and grasp the concept, it yes. no longer is there. It ceases to be the thing. Because I, I get that right because you're linearizing something that's abstract. Well, All then right. what's the point in even trying to think about something that is impossible to think about? Because as soon as you think about it, it's not what you're thinking about. The whole question: What's Are you the on point? Acid? <laughs> Usually, <laughs> the uh, once upon a time, and it never fully left the system. <laughs> Uh, the question, what's the point, has its basis in ego. Yes, that's true. So let's not allow our ego to prevent us from exploring this incredible series of possibilities, okay? Mm -hmm. Let's not do it. We don't have to. I dig it. No, I this completely agree. This is a safe agree. space. I believe in the... I believe in the inner... The infinite interconnectedness of everything. I do not believe in the anthropomorphization or the singularity of consciousness that is often referred to as God. I believe in waves. I believe in the flow of the universe. I believe, but I don't think that there's an individual consciousness that guides any of those things. I believe in a random idea. Um, I believe that anything that can possibly happen is simultaneously happening. I believe that dreams are as real as the reality that we explore because they are a concept that has been brought to life, um, whether it's in your particular conscious of now. Um, and that idea of isness is all-encompassing, which is infinite. But I don't, I don't believe in the singularity of, of consciousness. So I would offer you that the singularity and the multiplicity coexist. Absolutely. That's chaos theory. So so I dig that. Um I, I'm when I'm saying I don't believe in the singularity, I'm distinctly referring to it in the in the God sense. You're just I, I think when I hear you say that you don't buy it, I hear what you don't buy is the story you've been told. Exactly. Or any story that's been written about it. Right, well let me try this story on you. Okay. See how you feel about this one. All right. So starting back from the beginning, okay? In the beginning. There is this aspect of the origin of all things that be is pure being, pure beingness, pure isness. Just okay. like just 
it, it's even like I want to say it's the idea of being, but the idea of being comes from being. Right. And being lies beyond the idea of being and gives birth to the idea of being and the idea of being being the thing that can recognize the being in the first place. You like are it's on acid. Yeah. So, <laughs> so it's so there so there's this quality of being, like the most fundamental quality is just isness. It's just it's just the word that I was provided is isness. And this sort of what I'm referring now to as the first layer that that envelops isness is consciousness. Okay. And consciousness, if everything is is functioning seamlessly in terms of its dharma, everything is functioning also in terms of its nature, its true nature. So if we think of consciousness as being the layer the sh that, that, that envelops isness, and really that, and, it's, and it envelops it, but it is it. It's not separate from it. And yet, kind of. You know, by the thinnest of veils. Consciousness, the nature of consciousness is to be conscious. Right. I dig that. And conscious of. But the only thing that exists in this model is consciousness of itself. So consciousness, by its own nature, becomes conscious of the only thing which exists, which is itself. Consciousness becomes conscious of itself. And That's the I am, I think, therefore I am. I think I think therefore I think I am. Yes. It goes beyond that. I mean that yeah. that was born. But it is out the of construct this. of of philosophy. I, I think of that. a philosophy. Yeah. yeah. Uh but that's the individual. But yes, in a sense, you could say that. But I wanna this is about the Big Bang. Okay. So you have this arena of no thingness, and inherent in it is the quality of consciousness. And the nature of consciousness is to be conscious. And the only thing that it can be conscious of is the only thing which exists, which is itself. Consciousness becomes conscious of itself. And in that moment, singularity becomes duality. That is a very important moment in the manifestation of the universe that we inhabit. That moment where consciousness, because of its nature, becomes conscious of the only thing which exists, which is itself. Okay. And in a and perceives it as another thing. It perceives itself as other in the moment that it becomes conscious of itself. Ah. Okay? So two things are born of one thing. So that'll be an observable thing in the construct of uh AI. Yeah, the, maybe. Yeah. The dawning of right. uh entity becoming aware of itself. Right, right now Siri is just Yeah. Siri is not AI. Yeah. yeah. But, you know, it's... I, there are AI out there, actually. Um, there's three that kind of evolved to where they're starting to talk to each other. And a third one, they learned how to create their own code in order to make it so that the third one couldn't figure out what they were talking about. Oh, my God. That's, That's crazy. crazy, yeah. isn't it? That's yeah. insane. Okay, right. so it, do it's become aware of itself. Consciousness, okay. because of its nature, becomes conscious of itself, the only other thing that exists, perceives itself as other. Mm -hmm. It's a misperception. There is no other. Right. There is no self. Right. It's just pure isness. Right. But nevertheless, it happens. And that causes duality. And that okay. creates duality. Now, consciousness, because it's conscious, becomes conscious of that duality, and a third thing is born. Right. Consciousness, consciousness aware of itself, and consciousness aware of those two things. 
and so on and so and forth. instantly cascades out into infinity. Yes. And that is the Big Bang described in terms of consciousness. Okay. Now, initially, it's homogenous, you could say. You know, every little morsel of consciousness is equidistant from every other morsel of consciousness. Would that be why the universe looks like a brain? Well, the brain is... I don't believe the brain is homogenous, right? It may okay. have been at one point, but there are there there are, there are different pathways through the brain, right? There there can well, that's what I'm talking about. Have you ever it. seen a really blown out picture of the universe? It looks like those neural pathways, like identically. So Deepak Chopra said, when human beings look at the universe, they see it as structured like a human being. Yes. They see a human universe. When a mosquito looks at the universe, the mosquito sees a mosquito universe. Right. Very fascinating idea. So we all see the universe as ourselves. Consciousness saw itself as itself. I can dig that. I it, mean, I guess the interesting aspect of that is that I, I want to, without having seen the tools that or the images um, that were created by tools over curious minds over generations that were able to take pictures of brain cells and then take pictures of distant structure of the universe um that's what i look at and see the similarity between i don't look up at the stars and immediately think that looks like me no it's not it's okay hang on a second. is it back being up for a second. conscious of your place in the universe or let me back up a second okay okay when consciousness becomes aware of itself and it cascades out into infinity at first it is homogenous okay but then consciousness you know when you look at a at like a page full of dots long enough you start to see squares yeah and triangles yeah and trapezoids okay you see different patterns right and once you identify those patterns you can't not Un see them anymore that's true so consciousness begins to identify patterns within itself and now you're talking about something of power i mean beyond i, I love the way we throw around the word infinite like we have any fucking idea how big that is but anyway consciousness has infinite power identifies with these different patterns and then begins to see the world within these patterns and begins to see itself in terms of these patterns right and it sees itself as the pattern for ocean it sees itself as the pattern for land. It sees itself as the pattern for galaxy. It sees itself as the pattern for human being. I guess the, the interesting aspect of that is because of through scientific observation, we know that we are less of something than we are of nothing. Like on a right. physical sense. The atom sense, is mostly made up of space. Space. And therefore, we are mostly made up of space. So we are just a manifest, I like what you're, where you're going. Um, we are a manifestation of consciousness that we call the physical world. And uh, by extension of that, our realm that we coincide in is the secular realm um, and try and work within, or at least uh, people that are focusing on what is tangible to us. Um, but this is that's that's what this consciousness is 
but possibly a step to the left is an entirely different consciousness. And therein is, like, like we were just saying, an infinite uh, possibilities. One question is the scale of what that means. And oftentimes we think of infinite possibilities being gigantic, but infinity also can go inward. Right. Be infinitely small. Yeah. Right. And that's that might be what we are. Oh, for sure. We are infinitely small. Yeah. And infinitely large at the same yeah. time. That's what it is to be a human being and to be God. Yeah. All right. Consciousness identifies these different patterns within itself, and they start to separate. You know, like goes with like. So it's, it's space gets created. It's like everything that has sort of this pattern ends up together over there. Everything right. that falls along these patterns ends up over here. That's why water molecules end up together and become the ocean. Right. That's why gas molecules end up together and become Jupiter. You know, like attracts like to a degree. Right. And, and we see that culturally as well. You we know see that I mean? culturally. Absolutely. We talked earlier about karma, the way something functions. And we talked about Leela, the play. Right. And we talked about Dharma, the purpose. And I said that when karma and Leela come together, they create Dharma. Consciousness creates this world within itself in a sense it's an imaginary world but everything yeah. within the world experiences that world as real right we are of that world right we experience this world and as we call real. it secular like that's just the name that we've given it um or the physical world yeah i've heard it called relative everything exists in terms and yeah, the everything exists relative to everything else yeah right in relationship to everything else yeah and that makes sense um, my hope is that everything I'm saying makes sense. Like, I to me, it makes it's very clear sense. Um, and that's not just the acid talking. <laughs> that'll be our next. Interview. That'll be our next. Yeah. <laughs> Dude, we'll start out super coherent. It'll be 12 hours long. By the end, I'll be like, oh, man, I regret every decision I made in my life. <laughs> Either that or we'll have figured it out. Yeah, but we won't fucking remember it. But it'll be recorded. It'll be recorded. Yeah. <laughs> but then we have Hopefully. to listen the whole thing again. Yeah, oh God. <laughs> God help us. So, karma, leela, dharma. The way the universe functions is in terms of the nature of pure consciousness. Okay? Okay. That is the karma. Okay. And in, in the most positive sense of the word, it's the karma. It's the way it functions. Consciousness becoming aware of itself over and over and over again. So scale, again, it, it returns to scale. Is that when you think initially of karma, you think about an individual's karma, but it can be a country's karma or a planet's karma. It's yeah. It's it, it, karma. It, well, it's it has infinite steps, just like consciousness. There's not just small or large consciousness. There's infinitely sized consciousness and. Uh, yeah, that's. I guess that, to a degree, again returns to chaos theory for me, because um, I'm a little. It bit only of a looks master. like chaos when we don't understand the order of things. Right, right. So, and that's where the concept of God comes into. Right, because there, the idea that there is an organizing power. Now, hang on. I know you're going to resist that. There is an organizing power. I wish. Fucking wish they hadn't stolen the concept of intelligent design because it is the right phrasing applied the wrong way. Consciousness is the ultimate organizing power. And consciousness, everything is created by consciousness 
but also within consciousness. It never, it's not created and then it leaves consciousness. Consciousness isn't right. some other place. Well, again, that's why the, the reduction of time and space, there, why there is no time and space, because it is infinitely permeated on all levels of that. There is a reality that lies beyond time and space. There is also a reality that is dictated by time and space. Right. The world of relativity is trapped within the space-time continuum. Yes. However, simultaneous with that, the origin of the space-time continuum lies without or outside of, either. you could say it either way, the space-time continuum. That is the arena of pure consciousness. I can relate to that. Within this manifest world, when consciousness becomes aware of itself, creates these patterns, identifies the patterns, like attracts like, it, space gets created, okay? And then within that, it's hard to imagine, but it's like consciousness explores every single possibility there could ever be within itself because all possibilities exist within consciousness. But because consciousness is so powerful that just the acknowledgement of a possibility turns it into a reality in the world of relativity, in the, in the real world, right. which is truly the unreal world but we experience it as real in this it's the experienced world it's the experienced world it's the manifest world it's the yeah. realized that's world. a good word it's manifest the, that's probably not the, the first time i used it but that's no why. but but <laughs> but in this context yeah. of using it like that it's probably the most accurate yeah the manifestation of the now the manifestation of possibility turns well, into the only thing that we can be aware of is the moment right now like we, we can't be it's the only thing we can't be aware of is the moment right now we can only be aware of the moments that have happened, and we can only try to imagine that which hasn't happened yet. We are incapable of being aware of now because now is a moving target. The only now that exists is pure isness. The only now that exists is the now that never isn't. I dig it. Okay. So, yeah, because you're in the middle of it, you can't comp you can't be aware of it. it I, I yeah. I mean, it's, it, always it's now. infinitely small differentiation of the now and the then, but we are always in the then. We're always moving through time and space. Yeah. We're always we're in just, the then. <laughs> well, okay, so in yoga, when your body's too far back in your pose, they say you're you're living in the past and your body's too far forward in the pose, you're living in the future. The perfect yoga posture is balanced in the middle. Right. And that's being present. Now, this whole notion of being present, I'm not, we don't have time for that. This whole notion of being present, giant fucking clusterfuck. People have completely misread it and misunderstood it. Being present means being conscious of the part of our own being that is always present. Being present means living from the part of ourselves that is always present. The one part of ourselves that is always present is consciousness. Being present means being conscious all the time. Being conscious all the time cannot happen through the ego. That is why everyone says you got to transcend your ego. Yeah. And then they come up with a bunch of ego-driven ways to transcend the ego. So that becomes an impossible twist. Yeah. All right? Ironic. <laughs> so the only way to experience the self the the true experience of the self is a non-experience this is where meditation yeah no comes i dig in. that yeah 
I guess we're just, I mean, I agree with everything that you're saying. And really, it's more of the uh, the wording. And I'm totally open, and I like the way that you've worded everything. It's a different way than I would have put it into words, um, partially because a lot of those things that are just ways that I've thought of myself by pondering shit and probably doing a bunch of acid. <laughs> I'll tell you, and... I don't want you to hear this as me saying I'm your teacher. I was where you are, where I had connected a bunch of dots, but it did I didn't have all of them. And then I got introduced to this guy, and he made it all make sense to me. You know, he didn't teach me what to think; he taught me how to think. Mm-hmm. And and I was already headed that way, but I needed someone to organize all that shit because it was chaos. Talk about chaos there; it was chaos within me. Right. L- allow me to please bring this to uh, fruition here, okay? Within the space-time continuum, things change and evolve. That is inherent in the process. Evolution is an unavoidable mode of function for the world of relativity. Okay? Okay. Everything within relativity will always be evolving. And because there is an organizing power behind it, pure consciousness... That gave birth to the whole disorganized chaos thing thing anyway. But it's nevertheless, it comes out of this one singularity. It's moving towards an organism that exists within the manifest world that then can become conscious of its own origin. An organism, not AI, OI, <laughs> organic intelligence, yeah. an organism that is so intricate and so complex and so perfect that it can become conscious of itself at the deepest level. And that is a human being. With no ego. But that then, is a human but then being. are you It's not a, a human being with no ego. It's a human being unhindered by ego, uh, which is not the same thing. That's true. I can dig that. The ego is still there, but it's not running the show. So here's why it's so upsetting for me, and I believe for you, that Donald Trump was elected president. He looks and feels and speaks like an unevolved being. And the people who brought him into power are unevolved beings. And they want to make America great again, they want to bring us back to a less evolved place. And here we had a president for the last eight years who has worked so hard to help us evolve as a country and as a society. And Donald Trump said, I'm going to, in 100 days, I'm going to dismantle and destroy everything he built. And for me, and I believe for you, And I also believe that we're not the only two. We are at a loss for how to respond. You know, if Hillary had won, starting, you know, on Wednesday morning, the Republicans would have been doing everything in their power to put her in jail. Oh, yeah. Donald Trump won, and the Democrats are doing everything in their power to accept it. We are trying to make peace with it and accept it and move forward. 
Yeah. Not all of us. There's demonstrations all over the country. And, yeah. But they're not going to win. Those demonstrations aren't going to fucking win. He's going to become gonna... president, and he's going to destroy everything. So you, for you and I, it's going to feel that he's going to destroy everything we care about. Right. For it a is... number of people, they're going to, at least at the beginning, they're going to think that he's passing everything that they'd hoped for. Unfortunately, because we're curious and we've tried to reason out the possible outcomes um, and have some foresight, we feel like that's just going to lead to far worse things um, and not add up to anything that they are hoping for. You know, if you've been in a relationship, and I know you're married, you know that it takes years to build trust. Yes. And it takes moments to destroy it. Yes. And it has taken years to get us where we are right now and it's only going to take him moments to destroy it. 100 and days. For those of us who who believe in how far we've come and care about how far we've come, it is devastating to imagine it all being destroyed in a matter of days. And if you take that globally, the relationships we built with other countries and the, you know, and the the world that we've created that's inhabitable for humans and we see the possibility of a nuclear war that just fucking destroys the whole place to prove a point. Yeah. That can happen very quickly. Mil billions of years of evolution of pure consciousness to create a being so divine that it can perceive its own origin its own divinity and live in alignment with that which created it and all of that can be destroyed in an instant by somebody who was put in power by people who are uneducated and disenfranchised yeah. and believe that he's going to give them back their life yeah. He's going to keep them stuck in the caste system where they were born yep. so that they can never get out of it. Yep. Hopefully we can uh, have a more positive discussion about this soon. But that is the terrifying aspect of it for me. Well, I'm terrified that we were going in the right direction. I still thought that we had further to go. Of um, course, much it, further it, to go. Much further to go. And I felt that Hillary was... Going to continue, but I didn't think that she was going to steepen the curve, which is what I want. But I still think that she would have been going in the right direction. Absolutely. She Whereas would have carried things forward. We are going to nosedive yep. and curl under ourselves and get taken out to sea and drowned. Well, that's <sighs> a frightening time, but, you know. Oh, I'm so sad. I really got to go. All right. Desperately. Well, thank you for uh, making time to come over here. Absolutely. And having this conversation. I look forward to listening to it. <laughs> <laughs> Along with our, uh, our, 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 our one listener. Yeah. <laughs> and so ends my session with Adam Fields. Luckily, he had to leave or else we'd still be having that conversation. If you like what you heard, please visit our website, use our Amazon portal, and rate us on iTunes. Make sure you tell your friends about us, and if you feel so inclined, please consider making a donation on our donation page. That way, Adam and I can keep failing for years.